Welcome to the Focus Church Teachings Podcast. We hope this brings a lot of encouragement to you, but we also want you to know that we believe discipleship doesn't occur here, but occurs in small groups where people share their gifts with each other in many-to-many discipleship. If you want to know more about that, stick around after the teaching. lighting the Advent candles, and what we've been doing this year is we've been reflecting on various character attributes of God. Um, you can just hold on to it until we need it. Um, we've been reflecting on various character attributes of God, and, and our goal is to is to spend this time, it seems like, you know, Christmas is about God come to earth, so what better way to spend it than reflecting upon who that God is? What would lead the God of the universe to do such a weird thing? The Christmas story is not a simple story. It's a really strange story, and I think to understand the God behind that story uh, may help us really understand what the celebration is about and lead us to even more celebration. Um, and so that's kind of our theme this year is proper reflection may lead to genuine celebration. So the first week, the first candle we lit was, who remembers? Holiness. holiness. Good job. The first candle was holiness, and a holiness we talked about is this otherness of God, that he is set apart from everything else in the universe. He's just completely different. But we talked about the fact that his otherness is reflected in things that are familiar to us. So even though he's completely other, he's completely other in ways which remind us of things we know. And the otherness comes about in that he's just so perfect and so complete in all of it. So in everything that we know, all the, all the beauty, all the goodness that we know, that we aspire to, we know that God is not only that, but he is that in such a perfect way that it begins to be even beyond our comprehension. Reachable, something we aspire to, and yet when we see it in God, it is... It is just unlike anything we've ever seen because we've never seen such perfection in it. And so that was the first week was holiness. And then we talked about the second week about God's... Justice. Justice. So we talked about God's justice and even how that was perfect. And we talked about how the idea that justice is that God likes to make wrong things right. And that he promises that's what he's going to do. The entire universe will be redeemed and judged and, 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 and saved and, and that, that all of these things together are about him making the wrong things right. Everything will be right at the end. Nothing will be left undone. And what's interesting about those two, as we talked about those two the last couple of weeks, is if there's a difficulty in teaching on them, it's just that they're kind of unfamiliar, right? Justice and holiness are not words we use all the time, certainly not in relationship to sort of the, the way God uses them. And so it's a little bit of a challenge maybe to teach them. But tonight's topic is a challenge for a different reason. So tonight's topic, we're going to reflect on love. And love is very familiar to us. In fact, the difficulty with teaching and reflecting on love is a lot of us think that we already know what it is. <laughs> and it makes it harder to think about sort of the holiness of God's love, how different it is. To, to really see in contrast with what we experience as love is hard because we, we spend a lot of time thinking about love. In fact, love is so vastly important to us that you know we, we know enough about love to desire it. We desire to be loved. We desire to love. I think as we go through life, we find that both are really nice, right? When people love us, it feels good, but we also learn that it's really nice to love other people. We really enjoy that when we learn how to do it. And in fact, I think we all desire to be loved and to love. I think that's a human need as basic as anything we have for survival, food or clothing or anything else. And I think there's even been some studies which show this, that, that human babies which are unnourished and unloved uh, are, are, do not thrive. They do not do well. And yet, it's a basic human need, and yet at the same time profound enough to entertain the philosopher and the poet for hours and hours and hours and hours and days and days to try to figure out what it means and understand it. And yet, at the same time, we know that you don't even have, even have to have a certain intellectual capacity to feel the need for love 
or the desire to love. We know that you don't have to understand it to know it and to want it. But even though it's so necessary for us, and even though we spend so much time thinking about it, we're really poor at defining it. Is it an emotion? Is it an affection that we feel for one another? Is it an act of will? Is it a certain kind of service or selflessness? Is it something we do, or is it something we feel, or is it something we think, or what is it? And the truth is, it's really all of these things. Those who say it's only an act of will, if you really talk to them, they have no less desire to be thought of warmly with affection by those who are performing acts of will on their behalf. They want more than rote actions for their love. And those who suggest it's only a passion nonetheless desire mundane, regular tasks that show that the person that loves them is looking out for their interests. And then, on top of all this, even if we have been loved well, and even if we have loved well as humans, and that's a big if, then we're brought back to the reminder that God is holy, and that means that in his holiness, his love is perfect, and therefore it transcends even our best understandings. So how do we begin to reflect on love when it's so big and so basic, when it's so familiar, and yet we're so far from understanding its perfection, when it's something we want so much and yet practice so poorly? How do we reflect on it? You know, I think it's fair to say this week I have struggled with love. Now, it's interesting. I don't think I would have put it that way or thought of it that way. But I've been thinking, obviously, about this and about teaching this. And I think, in fact, not only is it true that I've struggled with love this week, and I would say that, but as I look back, I think it's actually true most of my life. I think that most of weeks I would say I've struggled with love. You know, I wouldn't, again, normally put it this way, but as we're reflecting on it, I'm seeing that it's true nonetheless. I think through my week, and I bet if you think through years, you might have a similar experience. As I look back upon my week, there's times I've struggled with feeling like some people weren't loving me well. I've struggled with wanting to be loved more or better. And I felt sad about that. And there's other times that I've struggled with feeling like I'm so poor at this thing called loving that I've been sad about that. <laughs> but I want to remind you that isn't the reflections we're encouraging this week. <laughs> I don't want you to go through the next week recognizing only how poor you love or how little you loved. I think we could spend a lot of time thinking about those things, but I'm not sure that will get us where we want to go this week. Because remember, as we light each candle, our goal is to encourage a reflection upon our God. So how can we grasp who this God is and what love, what love looks like? So I just want to give a quick, few quick thoughts, and then we'll light these candles. First John 4, 8. John is often called the Apostle of Love. He writes a lot about love, but in ways we may not have expected, and I just want to read a little snippet. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. That's an interesting phrase, that last one. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Or that everyone who knows God does love, and that's why we should love. He's not saying, by any means, that even people who don't know God can't approximate love, that they can't sort of love the way we understand love. Of course they can, of course they do. But that's because if you remember, God has created all of us in his image. We all carry in us, carry in us that original glory. Now, our human frailty puts some limitations upon that, so our love is never as perfect as God's. Also, it's under this cloud of corruption that the fall has created, that sin has brought, and so our love is hidden under that corruption as well. But in, in all of us, there's the seed of love. And except for those few who have really driven it out of their life in its entirety, it's probably true that everybody can approximate a certain kind of love of other people. But John's point here is bigger. 
So in the context of John's letter, there's a couple points he makes that are really important. One of them isn't our main point, but I want to make it because I think it's important enough, especially in this day and age when sometimes you wonder, there's a lot of gurus and a lot of teachers and even a lot of people who claim to be scriptural teachers. How do you know who to listen to and who to not listen to and where to go? And, and one point that's interesting that John makes that he's really making in this passage when he says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In the context of the letter, John is saying that the credibility of those who can't claim to speak for God can be challenged based upon this point. That if someone truly knows God and what's important to him, that it should show itself in at least prioritizing love. I'm not saying that people who claim to know God should love perfectly. We've already acknowledged that won't happen. But it should show that they at least prioritize love. In other words, John gives his readers permission to dismiss teachers who dismiss the importance of love. That's a really important point. But that's not the one we're making tonight. The important point is this. God is love. That's what John says. Now, we've talked about how you can say this about any of God's attributes. He is so completely and totally these things that you can describe them as who he is in, in totality. So it's not such a strange statement in that sense. But it is interesting that John wants to point this out particularly about love. That God is love. And as such, we can learn best from him, from what he says, from what he does, from what he thinks we can learn from him what love is. And at the same time that we learn what love is, we can learn who God is. John goes on to say this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent us his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. John makes the point that love isn't that we love God. That's not how we even know what love is. We're, that's not how we should even begin to define it. God says, how do we know what love is? What is love? It's that God loved us. And it's that he sent his son to die for us. That God not only spoke and felt an affection in his love for us, but he demonstrated it by being willing to give up all power, as we talked about with justice, for the sake of us. So the first thing to realize is that God's love is independent of ours. He doesn't love because we love. We love because he loves. And it's important to recognize that God's love is independent of us. He loved before he created us. He didn't create us and then fall in love with us. He created us because he loved us before he even created us. That's how independent and non, you know, sort of retro re reactive God is in his love. One thing about our love for each other that falls short from this holy picture of God's love is how completely conditional and responsive we tend to be. If we're honest, we find it much easier to love people who love us. And we withhold or grant love based upon how other people treat us. We so quickly give and retrieve our love. We so quickly give and take it back. If you, if you look at us funny or you do it the wrong way, we, we may take it back and feel justified in doing so. And on top of that, we rarely, rarely initiate love with someone who has done nothing for us or who can do nothing for us. In fact, when you look at people that are admired for their love, when you think of people that we think of as loving people, the thing that stands out is their ability to love people who give them nothing in return and who will never give them anything in return. And we see in that person that it's a, it's a credit to them, not a credit to the people they love, but it's a credit to them, that that's who they are. So I'm not saying this to recriminate us because our love is so frail, it's so imperfect. We already know that. We are not holy in the way that God is holy in our love. But I'm saying it helps us see how holy God is in his love. God is always the initiator. He loved us before we existed, and he loved us into creation, and he continued to love us even when we scorned him and hated him. Paul reminds us that when we were enemies of the cross is when God decided to demonstrate his love for us. 
That's truly an unconditional love. He initiates all love, and he is love. Just as with every other attribute, it is fully him, and he is fully it. He can no sooner stop loving you than he can stop being holy. He can no sooner stop loving you than he can stop being just. He can no sooner stop loving you than he can stop being God. It is who he is. But that's not who we are. <laughs> it's easy to think of God as loving us when we do well and not when we don't, because that's how we tend to be. It's easy for us to see judgment or justice, as we talked about last week, as being in opposition to love. But the reality is that for God, his unconditional love and his perfect justice do not fight. They flow from the same God with the same perfection and the same completeness. So there's a, a really favorite passage of Bible readers, and with good reason, about love, because it speaks eloquently and it speaks helpfully of love. It defines love not as the Greeks and Americans do with precise correlations between words, but it defines love more as the Hebrews do with examples and pictures until a totality of an idea comes across sort of intuitively. The passage I'm referring to is often used to describe the aspirations of our own love to each other in marriage or family or as a community of God, and as an aspiration, it is good. We should seek to love like that. But as a description and reminder and reflection upon who God is, it's perhaps even better. So as we reflect this week upon love, I want this passage to be a helpful reminder for you. I want you to consider even writing it down. Maybe memorize it. Chew on it throughout the week. And remember as you do that this is who God is. I'm speaking, of course, of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. God never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of the childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. As we approach Christmas, just take some time to reflect upon who this God is that came to earth on our behalf. Take some time to reflect on his holiness. Take some time to reflect upon his justice. And take some time this week to think about 1 Corinthians 13, what that tells us about God, what that means about how he thinks of you and reacts to you and relates to you and reflect upon his love. 
then we'll get together again next week, and we'll light our fourth candle. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll light the last one. Thank you so much for coming, and everybody go with God. Good night. Good night. Most churches believe in the value of small groups at a focus church. We are so convinced that's where the discipleship happens that we put all of our resources, our training, and our assessment into the focus groups. And we believe that you can be part of a focus group from anywhere in the country. So if you'd like to join us, just email me at pastormac, M-A-C, underscore at mac.com. And I'd love to tell you how you can be part of it. Either way, I hope this has been encouragement to you, and we'll see you here again next week.